Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. We are going to tackle all of Acts chapter 2 today. We're going to have just a good, grand time together. So hope you're ready. Strap in. Uh, You can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. I want to reiterate as we get started this morning uh, just how amazing our week was in Alabama. And, you know, weeks do not happen like we had this week uh, without the prayers of God's people. And so, again, I want to thank you for praying for us this week. We definitely felt it at times. You know, there's a lot of buildup as we get ready to go on trips like this, a lot of anticipation. There's planning and preparation and all the logistics of, of going on a trip like this, big and small. Uh, there's prayer, and we're thankful for that. But there's also paperwork that we're not very thankful for sometimes. Um, but even thinking through scenarios, okay, like, what are we going to be ready for? Like, what's going to happen? And so we had one of those fun little scenarios on the way down. Uh, we got just past Little Rock, Arkansas and had changed drivers, and um, I want to mention Scott Paulser and Mike Venable are our drivers, and they do an incredible job of getting us to and from everywhere we need to be. They do it safely, and they fit that big bus in places that you just like, how how are we going to do this? Is this going to be okay? Are we sure we can make this turn? Uh, But they get it done, and very experienced. And so as we were pulling out of uh, just past North Little Rock, on I-40, uh, Scott noticed out the side window, like one of the tires just didn't look right. And so we got over uh, on the next exit and checked things out. And sure enough, uh, we were like getting close to having some big problems and had a flat tire on the inside and the outside tire was uh, bulging. And so it was taking all the weight. And so this was on Sunday night, Labor Day, or Memorial Day weekend. So you can already kind of guess, like, started thinking through and started thinking about, like, do I need to call up ahead or we, we're not going to, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, we began to kind of talk and try and figure out with people and they were telling us, okay, you can get on the list, it's going to be about 10 hours before we can get to you. And it was just like, oh, great, here we go. This is this how this is going to go this week. Um, but... Uh, God was watching over us, and amazingly, as we kind of headed back uh, to <laughs> out of the sticks of Arkansas, back into a little bit of civilization, we were able to find a place that was able to, to look at it. Just take a look. If you can just take a look and see what you can do, and the guys took a look. Oh, yeah, we can fix this, and so they got us back on the road in less than an hour, which was amazing, and, um, and then as we went to pay for it, it said, we don't want you to pay anything. We, we were just, we're just going to do this because we know what you guys are doing and where you're headed, and we believe in that. And so we look at those instances and go, wow, <laughs> you know, God's watching over us because that was 
I was already thinking in my mind, like, here we go, catastrophic. We're like, we're going to miss this night in the hotel that we paid for. And we're not going to be able to make the first day of camp, uh, mission trip, and all these different scenarios start going through our head. You know, we anticipate things to happen. But until we get in those situations, and until they happen, um, and see God move in those situations, uh, that's when we, when we begin to see the power of God. And so as we are turning to Acts chapter 2 this morning, I have a feeling that it was the same type of anticipation that the apostles had and the early believers had. Um, in, the, in the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, it tells us there's about 120 people or so that were together. They were meeting together in the upper room where they were staying. They were praying and waiting on the promised, who, who John calls the paraclete the advocate or the helper, uh, as Jesus described the Holy Spirit in the book of John. And I have a feeling also that they had questions. I mean, as Jesus talked about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the, the disciples had a lot of questions. And so as, as the believers there, those 120 people were, to, were gathered together in that upper room praying, I'm sure they had questions of what will the Spirit do What's going to happen when the Spirit comes? Are we going to recognize the Spirit? What's going to be our interaction? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when the Spirit gets here? And probably the biggest question of all, like we do a lot of times, is when. When. When will the Holy Spirit come? All of these questions are about to be answered for them as we unpack all of chapter 2 in the Acts of the Apostles here together. Let's begin by reading the first three verses. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles this morning, you can follow along on, a, on the YouVersion app. I put together my notes on there as well. If you want to follow along on that, it's important that we kind of look at each part of this passage as we, as we go through Acts chapter 2. And so we find out that this comes at a time called Pentecost, which was celebrated 50 days after Passover. And what we need to understand is that it was established 15 centuries before the birth of Christ, okay? Pentecost wasn't something that just kind of came along after, uh, after Jesus rose from the dead. This was something that they'd celebrated, okay, for 15 centuries before the birth of Jesus. And it's celebrated on the first day of the week, again, 50 days after Passover. It was one of the three great feasts of the Israelites, also maybe sometimes called the Feast of Weeks because it happened seven weeks after Passover. Maybe also referred to as the Feast of Harvest as the first fruits of the harvest were gathered as an offering. But also this feast is closely associated uh, with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And we're gonna come back to, to, to those last two in just a moment, because I think that they draw a lot of significance in this passage. So on this day of Pentecost, 
the first since the ascension of Jesus, I think that we can see four key events that happen here in chapter two and that are relevant to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The first one is the movement in verses one through three that we just, or the, sorry, not the movement, the moment <laughs> that we just saw, that we just read about. Dr. Greenway, uh, who preached a few weeks ago from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, mentioned that this was uh, the moment in Acts that fulfills the promise of Jesus, but also firmly establishes what will be the sending out of the church. You know, verse one tells us that all believers were meeting together in one place. And back to chapter one, verse 14, Dr. Luke tells us that they were constantly united in prayer. Now, if someone was to write up a report of your activity over the past few days, and for these people, it had been about 10 days, okay, since Jesus had ascended, what would the report of your activity be? So as Dr. Luke reports and Dr. Luke writes his, his account here, in the Acts of the Apostles, the best thing that he could say about those people or, or the, the best summation of what they were doing was that they were constantly united in prayer all together. In verses two and three, Dr. Luke gives us great imagery as the Holy Spirit arrives. You know, in terms of a true uh, Texas Panhandle native, we can understand what he's saying here. There was a sound from heaven like a roaring mighty windstorm. I mean, is that not basically every afternoon or evening that we get around here, especially this time of the year? But unlike what we're used to, this wasn't on the outside. This wasn't something that we're hearing through the windows. This was on the inside. And it says that it filled the house where they were sitting. You know, and if that wasn't enough, it's followed by what looked like flames or tongues of fire that settled on each of them. You know, as we were leaving uh, last week and, and headed out last Sunday, I was getting updates on my phone. Um, I kind of, I like to kind of try and plan ahead like so we kind of know what's going on uh, weather-wise, but I was still getting updates from here and it was like constantly fire and wind warnings and all that kind of stuff. And so as we, as we read this, you know, it, it almost seems as if the Holy Spirit has come with a little bit of West Texas flair with all the fire and the wind. But I mentioned earlier how this passage um, or, or how this time can be known as the Feast of Weeks and how Passover was closely associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. As we read verses two and three uh, from our passage, as, as, we, as we've read those, let's go back uh, to Exodus chapter 19. I want you to flip back over there and let's see what, see what it was like as Moses and the Israelites encountered God at Mount Sinai. So Exodus chapter 19, we're gonna look at verses 16 through 20. It says, on the morning of the third day, thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. 
Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it from descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. We see the presence of God here as thunder and lightning and a dense cloud. As verse 18 says, the Lord descended on it in the form of fire. You know, it's amazing in how these instances both tied together uh, the, the celebration of, of these feasts under the old covenant and the similarities of the presence of the Spirit of God as the Holy Spirit arrives. In Exodus, God followed by giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes under the new covenant and offers the assurance in a relation, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's turn back to Acts chapter two and let's read the next few verses. Acts chapter two, starting in verse four. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people were all, were all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in their own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and the pilot of uh, the pilot, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other, but the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So the second key event that we see happen here as the, at the arrival of the Holy Spirit is the miracle in these verses, uh, verses 4 through 13. And I don't know any other way of describing what happened in verses 4 through 13 except calling it a miracle from the Holy Spirit. And this passage gets a lot of traction because of the miracle over these verses, and I'm not gonna delve into all of that this morning. Um, if you want to know more about that, you can listen to Matt Price's podcast. Um, he talked about uh, the study of charismatic gifts a couple Wednesday nights ago. Um, and just feel free to just ask him about it. Um, but we're looking big picture here at what was accomplished as the followers of Christ prayed for the spirit that had been promised by Jesus. Verse four tells us that everyone present 
was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, I, and, um, and in a supernatural way, they were able to communicate. And I think that that involves not only what was spoken, but also involving understand, understanding what was spoken as well. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. As verse 11 says, they were communicating and understanding about what? About the wonderful things that God has done. In verses 5 and 6, it tells us that this was to Jews from every nation. As they heard the commotion, they all came running. Verse 12, I think, probably best sums up what they had all just experienced by saying, they were amazed and perplexed. Uh, you know, as I read scripture, I try and place myself in that same place to think, how might I react? How might I respond in this situation? You know, and <laughs> I think about being on the radio in games, and I get to call a lot of moments that happen that are unexpected and just kind of like, wow, how did that just happen? And I think as I was reading this, I was thinking about like facial expressions like, that is crazy. <laughs> What's going on there? Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a place where there's a lot of different people who are speaking different languages, uh, like in a place like Los Angeles or New York City uh, or Miami, where you're around just a lot of different people, different cultures, different languages, or maybe just at Morningside Elementary, you could walk in there and do the same thing from time to time. Um, but to, to think as all of this is going on and all of this is happening, there's also another part to it in verse 13. It says, we see that there are those who ridiculed and mocked what was happening. To me, this verse validates that this definitely was the work and a miracle of the Holy Spirit, not just in what was said, but also in what was heard. You know, as I read this and, and you get to verse 13, you think, well, if all of those people who were there, all of these different people from all over the place, and they were hearing these Galileans speak this message of um, the wonderful things that God has done, and they were hearing this, why, didn't, why was there a group of people that ridiculed and mocked it that didn't understand what was happening? So to me, not only was the miracle of the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit in what was said, but also in what was heard. And, and to me, there's no other explanation except it was, but it was done by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the third part of this passage that we see is the message, the message from Peter, and it happens in verses 14 through 41. And we're not gonna read all of these verses through here in Peter's sermon. But we kind of see as this has happened and as, as they're being ridiculed, Peter kind of steps up. And, and we know how Peter has been because we've, if, if we see Peter's story throughout the Gospels, we see Peter's not afraid to like speak up and say something um, and even question things. And so as that happens, Peter steps up. And I can kind of see this as, as he steps up, he's got the, 
the other 11 apostles are kind of like right behind him. And, and he begins to address the crowd. And he explains that, you know, these, these believers were not, in fact, drunk. And he quotes Joel 2 in verses 17 through 21 here of Acts chapter 2. Um, and Peter reveals that the Spirit has been poured out on them and that the Lord is their salvation. And Peter uh, goes into what, what we see in the Bible as his first recorded sermon. And, and so uh, his, his message after, after verse 21 kind of changes directions. And we, we begin to see the meat of what Peter wants to say as he has stepped up here. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. And so Peter here gives or begins to give the crowd his personal account of knowing Jesus. You know, he says, God has revealed Jesus' deity. He has revealed that Jesus is God through the miracles, through the signs, through the wonders that you have seen. He finishes with this phrase, as you well know. This was not a secret, what Jesus had done. Jesus wasn't doing these things off just by himself or just in front of a small group of people. It was well known, the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing. And Peter points them, the crowd, to this right now. And so this was common knowledge. It was something that they all knew. And so he takes that moment of common knowledge and takes it a step further from common knowledge to God's knowledge. Uh, and without their understanding, he is telling them that you know these things, you see who Jesus was, you heard what Jesus had to say. But God was also carrying out his plan through you. Even though you did not realize it, his prearranged plan, the crucifixion that would take place. But Peter's witness doesn't end there as he reminds him that death couldn't hold him and that Jesus had been raised back to life. And then in verses 25 through 28, uh, Peter next quotes David from Psalm chapter 16, how David was prophesying of the coming Messiah and the, and the, and the coming Messiah's resurrection. And remembering back to the crowd how many had seen and definitely heard about the signs and the wonders of Jesus. Many of them had seen with their own eyes. They had witnessed it. They had seen somebody who had been healed or they had seen it happen. They'd also witnessed his triumphal entry. They knew of his trial and also of his crucifixion. 
So let's pick back up reading in verse 32 of chapter 2. It says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we were all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see here today. Verse 32, as he is saying this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses to this. You can, again, see him standing in front and the apostles right there. And not only is he saying, we are witness to this because they had seen him, they had touched, touched the wounds in his hand and in his side, they had seen that. But the people had also seen, had, the people also knew of Jesus' resurrection because of the empty tomb. And so they, they had known as well. They had, they had seen, they had heard the witness of Jesus and, and the witness that they were bringing in verse uh, 33 that, again, we see as he talks about the promise and the and mentioning of the Holy Spirit. Again, all of these things are happening all in one day, okay? All, this, all of this up through verse 41 is, is all one particular event, one day. Verses 34 and 35, as we continue, come from Psalm chapter 10. It says, For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. As Peter sums up this portion, he is saying, Scripture has pointed you to him. He's quoted passages from Joel and two separate passages now from the book of Psalms. He is the Messiah, is what he is telling the people. And be confident in also knowing that Jesus is your Lord. And so the natural response in the next verse from the people is, so, so what, what should we do? <laughs> what do we do? Let's read Peter's response to them and the work of the Holy Spirit as it continues on that day in verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the name, called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were, were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So Peter ends his first public sermon here with instructions in verse 38. Two things that he tells them. The first is to repent, which we know as, to, as being a change from following sin to following God. Repent and follow God. 
The next thing that he tells them is to be baptized. And this word, as it's translated from the Greek, literally means to be immersed or dipped in water. And is this for salvation purposes? No. But it's to follow the command of Jesus that Jesus gave in the Great Commission. And so again, Peter reiterating that command that Jesus had already given them through the Great Commission. Go make disciples and baptize them. And notice how on this Pentecost, Peter finishes verse 38 by saying if they followed the commands, they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting as he says this, he doesn't mention any other gifts. He says, if you do this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who receives it? Verse 39 tells us, all who have been called by the name, or who have been called by the Lord our God. He finishes with this emphatic plea in verse, in verse 40 um, of strongly urging the people there to do this. As Peter said in verse 39, it is God alone who saves. And he is the one who opens our hearts and we must do that in a, in a way of repentance and of, and of faith. Remember I mentioned earlier that, that Pentecost was also referred to as a feast of harvest as the first fruits were gathered and, and, and a sacrifice was made. What an incredible first Pentecost uh, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Now under the new covenant, as about 3,000 became the first fruits from the work of the Holy Spirit on that day. It kind of gives me chills as, as we read and as we talk about that. Let's finish uh, and look at this fourth key event from, from Acts chapter 2, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in, the, in these final six verses, starting in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over, came over them all as the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What had started as one day together in a room, 120 followers, committed followers together in prayer. Now it turned into a community of thousands in Jerusalem. And because of the miracle of the Holy Spirit on that day, it was going to spread to other regions as well as, as the crowd went back home after the festival of, of Pentecost was over. As we drove home, I thought about the countless mission trips uh, that this student ministry has done over the last 50 years. 
also the independent mission trips that many of you have, have taken on your own. And all of that from the initial spread of the gospel on Pentecost to the incredible ministry that's, that was born here out of our local church that we can look at today. I'm just in awe of the work that God continues to do even today. As verse 47 tells us, it didn't stop on that one day. It says that the Lord added each day to their number those who were being saved. What an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we see here in Acts chapter 2. So what can we take from this today? I think there's a couple things that we can look at. The first is that God has a perfect process. It ended with the movement, but the movement couldn't have, wouldn't have happened without the message. The message from Peter couldn't have happened without the miracle of the Holy Spirit. The miracle of the Holy Spirit wouldn't have happened without the initial moment in the coming. You know, if it's not God's process, and if we outrun God's process, it becomes ours. And when it becomes our process, many times it's just not very special. And we work really, really hard, and we do a lot of things, and there's just nothing to show from it. But when it's God's process, we can see the work of the Holy Spirit as it moves. The next thing that I feel like we should take from this passage is that we need to be ready. Be ready for the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, Acts 1.14 gives us a pretty good blueprint. It says to be constantly united in prayer. Be constantly united in prayer as the early followers and believers were. Psalm 119.105 tells us to let the word of God be the lamp that guides our feet and the light that, that lights our path. The word of the Lord go in front of us. I want to finish by reading Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? How can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how, any, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Be willing. Be willing to go and be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pray. God, you've given us a great charge in front of us from Acts 2. God, let it for us be more than a story of the initial coming and outpouring of your Holy Spirit. But God, let it, let it be something that we can take and learn from and know that your Spirit is here for us. God, let us be bold in our sharing. God, let our prayer lives be strong. God, as we call for your Spirit to be here with us. God, I pray for our, for our church. God, as we continue uh, to seek what your will is. God, as we continue to look for opportunities to minister here 
in our community, but also uh, the far reaches of the world as we look to serve you and to continue your mission. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.